thank you for checking out the Travel Nuggets podcast. I'm your host, Christine Goss. When it comes to travel, the best ideas don't come from guidebooks, travel sites, or Google. They come from other travel junkies. Travel junkies are filled with interesting nuggets of information and ideas for your next adventure, once you get them talking. And that's what the Travel Nuggets podcast does. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Music Play. And to learn more information about the tips shared on this podcast, visit us online at travelnuggetspodcast.squarespace.com or join our Facebook community. To share feedback or suggest a topic or guest, send me an email at travelnuggetspodcast.gmail.com. Now, let's get to today's episode. In this episode, we're going to take a trip to Scotland for Christmas and New Year's. Joining me is Jason Free, who just took a pretty incredible trip to um, to Scotland over those holidays, and he's going to tell us more about it. Welcome to Travel Nuggets, Jason. Thanks, Christine. Pretty glad to be on the show. So let's just start with Hogmanay. Um, Hogmanay is, according to Culture Trip, which um, those who listen to this podcast know, I love Culture Trip. It is one of the top New Year's parties in the world. So what is it? So Hogmanay is this... is this traditional Scottish New Year's sort of folk festival. And it's, it's basically three days. It's from like the 30th of December until like the 2nd of January. Um, and it's sort of this like low key Scottish festival that is like a great New Year's party. Well, it didn't look too low key when I was, I was looking at the images online. It looked like there was Vikings holding fire. And I watched some YouTube videos of, um, of this festival and this this one guy was talking about how it's all about lighting bonfires rolling blazing barrels of tar down hills and tossing torches so by low-key do you mean low-key for the scots i mean yes basically i i did miss the rolling fire barrels piece but we did do the the walking down the street with torches and that was surprisingly low-key because you know from america we assume oh they're definitely not going to let 10,000 people have flaming torches, but nope, that's exactly what happens. They just give a bunch of people torches, and then like, as you walk by like a designated lighter, they just sort of pass fire back through the crowd as bagpipe bands play, and you march down the street, and it's kind of awesome. So you were specifically in Edinburgh. Is yes. that the only place that this that Hogmanay takes place? No, Hogmanay is a Scottish thing, but it's sort of the uh, Edinburgh is the center. It, it's the biggest of the Hogmanay celebrations, but Hogmanay is basically everywhere in Scotland. Okay, so take us through the route because I guess there's a, a fire procession. So where do you start? How many people are there? How do you know how to do it? So they're actually pretty organized. They have the traditional street barricades and they're there. You get tickets in advance and they limit the number of tickets. I think it's between eight and 10,000 that actually march down the street. And then something like 20 to 30,000 show up along the side outside the barriers to watch the procession. And they have the, this designated route down Princess Street that goes by this hill that's known as like Arthur's seat, which is the legendary home of where potentially King Arthur may have had his, his seat of power back in the day. Uh, that's the, the mythical piece there. And then at the end, there's a bonfire where everyone throws torches into the sort of center, uh, like giant fire uh, berm. It, where is that? Where's the big fire pit? Uh, it's probably a, a mile, mile and a half sort of outside the city. So you sort of march from sort of downtown in Old Town out, to, out of the city and then it's it's right outside and then sort of an open field right outside downtown. Wow. Okay, so 
you said there's several thousands of people. So they throw their their torch into this big bonfire and then just get out of the way so everyone gets a chance. It's- kind of, yeah. And then there's like a concert and a stage and sort of a big party. Okay. Well, bagpipers? Bagpipers. So they, they um, at, at, periods, at periodic intervals, they interrupt the procession of people to insert another band of pipers. So every, you know, so many hundreds of people, there's another like local high school, middle school, amateur professional bagpipe band just sort of joining the crowd as part of the march <laughs> um how, what about celts are people killed today it looked very viking to me and i did read the history it's it's kind of a combination of pagan and then norse um so it did look like people were wearing those hats you know at the horns so so there are definitely people who show up with that um that's more of a, a touristy thing than the scots but but the truth is honestly and this is the thing i actually learned this trip the kilt is actually not a traditional Scottish thing. It was invented in like the 17th century by the English. But you had mentioned there's kind of you, this is your second time going to Hogmanay and there's two different ways to do it. Uh, can you walk us through that? Sure. So I had been once seven years ago uh, with another friend of mine. And this time we was going with a, a bigger group of, of 10 of us. Um, and there's sort of like the low key Hogmanay and then there's sort of like the crazy new year's Hogmanay. So you, everything in Edinburgh is, is very well organized. Um, they sell tickets in advance to the various things that you can do. And there's the street party, which is sort of the traditional, what we as Americans think of as New Year's. So it's bands and crowds and bars and drinking, and you can get tickets to that. And that's sort of like the, the very exciting, high-energy party New Year's. And there's sort of the more traditional Scottish New Year's. That's the Cayley, which is sort of a folk dance, uh, which is a more casual uh low-key event uh which is what my friends and i we, we basically bought tickets to both because we didn't know which one we wanted to do and we started the kaylee and it was such a good time we just stayed there and ended up not going up to the street party and both have great views of the fireworks of edinburgh castle so you can sort of choose your own adventure as to what, what you want to do and there are no wrong choices but we were just having such a good time at the kaylee we just didn't go up to, to the main street party at the higher level because we had a great view and we weren't being run into by crowds of drunken people, which is sort of what we wanted. So did you join in this folk dancing? I, you know, I did not because I have no rhythm, but several of my friends did and they had a great time. And it, and it actually reminds you a lot of a, an American sort of square dance party where the, the callers on stage are sort of teaching you the dance and they're, they're, they're playing traditional Scottish folk songs. Um, and it's sort of a cool event. So I, um, as I mentioned, I studied abroad at St. Andrews and they had what they would call balls, which is, I guess, what we call galas here. Mm -hmm. And there was a song by the Proclaimers that was very popular at one point um, called I'm Gonna Be. Yes. I was 500 miles. Oh, yeah. That's a Scottish band. And I got played a lot while I was in Scotland. Love that song. And yeah. they just go crazy. And at every gala or, you know, ball I went to, just or, or even in the, the pubs, when that song came on, everybody would just go crazy dancing. They loved it. No, that's totally true. That played the entire weekend we were there. We heard it at, at, at the stage events. We heard Pipers on the Streets uh, who had like... Like, no uh, oh yeah the, every everyone was playing the proclaimers <laughs> it was so funny i wish i could play it now but i can't do that on my podcast you have to buy rights to that song but um but i'm also interested in your personal tradition of traveling on christmas you said you always take a trip over the christmas holiday uh tell us about these markets and what it's like to be in edinburgh at christmas time 
Yeah, so this is the thing I started uh, probably four or five years ago. Um, most companies have downtime during during the Christmas and New Year's holidays. And so that was an easy way for me to get a block of time to go travel Europe. And so I just sort of began this tradition of, of taking that time to go overseas and, and see places. And especially because it's the off season, you get less crowds if you, if you choose the right places, um, which I think is a, sort of an interesting way to experience other countries for, in, instead of the tourist high season. So Edinburgh has this great uh, park where they have the Christmas markets in the sort of the traditional European style. So it's, you know, Ferris wheels and bratwurst and Glühwein and beer and local crafts for sale in shops. And it's just sort of people casually wandering around. Um, all of these things are cash only. Most of them don't take credit cards. So you sort of show up and wander around these sort of like local shops and sort of you can put together a meal of brats and french fries and wine and beer and whatever you and soda and whatever you want uh while you wander around and, like shop the local markets so what is glue wine uh glue wine is like a fermented wine it's sort of like a hot it's, it's it's like a heated wine it's it's very sweet i'm actually not a huge fan of it but it's sort of like a traditional thing you drink and it's just sort of stay warm in the cold yeah oh it, was, it has that anisette stars and cinnamon so it's like a mulled wine yeah exactly so it kind of warms you up so then weather wise it was pretty raw there for Stop. sure yeah it expect you know 30s 40s potentially rain at random times because that's how scotland works and windy um so bundle up for sure well i also as reading about the fight how fire is actually you know pretty popular throughout the season do the markets have these bonfires as well no they don't actually they um they have sort of like heaters like the electrical heater style things um but the the only open fire i saw was definitely limited to the street to the, the sort of the torch march all right um all right so you stayed through christmas and new year's and then where did you go so then we uh, took the train up to inverness um to see some of the highlands and isle of Skye. Sky is beautiful. Uh, it's amazing. It's everyone should go there. We only had a day trip from Inverness over there, but you could easily spend three or four days on Sky. Did you see the old man of store? Yes. All right. Tell us about that. I mean, it's just sort of everything on Sky is beautiful. Uh, a friend of mine described it as colors are just more vibrant on Sky. It's just amazing. It's it's hard to describe it to people who aren't, aren't there because it's just so incredible. Um, so the old man of store is a a landslide, I guess, um, rock formation, and um, it's one of the highlights there. And it's about what a, an hour long walk up to to see the rock formations. Yeah, so we didn't get act, actually get up to to, to walk up towards it because um, we were just on a on a tour trip around the island. So it was sort of like we stuck to the main roads and didn't really get to take any of the hiking trails, but we sort of saw it from the distance. Okay, so Porty Portree is the capital there, yes. right? The capital city. Tell us what that looks like. I mean, it's just a it's a quaint Scottish town. So we stopped there for lunch um, and, and sort of the bus drove us through the town and the driver pointed out sort of the highlights of the, the four places that were open in the off season to eat. Um, so we ended up in this pub having, you know, fish and chips um, and like walked around a little bit, but we didn't have a ton of time there. But there, there are all these like craft shops and sort of a, a port town where you can go down and like see the water. There's a hill where you can look over the bay. Um, it's just like a great, small scottish town i understand you are a a whiskey or is it scotch and maybe you could explain the difference 
So there they obviously call it whiskey because it's all scotch. Um, in America, we call it scotch. There they just call it whiskey. Oh, interesting. So when did you, so did you go up to this way specifically for the distilleries? So we were sort of doing the, the, the culture history pieces of Edinburgh and sightseeing in Inverness. And then the, the group I was traveling with, most of them had to go home after Inverness. And then I went over to Isla, which is known for the smokier PD whiskeys. And like, I did that specifically as a whiskey trip. So do you find it much different than the other whiskeys that you taste around the world? Where else have you gone whiskey tasting? So I, I've tasted whiskey from Australia, from Taiwan, Japan, uh, France, which is not known for its whiskey, and, and of course, Scotland and Ireland. So where is the best? So I love the Scottish whiskey because I love the smokier, peatier style of whiskey that comes from places like Isla in Scotland. Um, the Japanese and the Taiwanese both do very, very excellent impersonations of it, but there's just something different about the Scottish whiskey that's, that I prefer. Okay, so take us, let's go back. I know you did a bunch of these distilleries in Inverness and then went to Isley, Isley? Isla. Isla, <laughs> sorry. Um, what, you know, tell us about why they're different. You said there's a ton of history there. Let's dig into that. Sure. Um, so in, in every, every area of Scotland sort of has a distinctive style. And this is, this is as much as in modern era, they sort of lean into the marketing of the style as it is that, that each area has its own style. Um, they now, they now sort of, because the styles have become the sort of the expectation of the various regions, every distillery in that region generally does the things of their style. So when you see the Highlands, so up in the Inverness area, we went to a, a distillery called Tomatin. So that, that is more known for smoother, richer, fruitier, uh, sort of light whiskey. Whereas if you go over to Isla, that will be heavier, smoky, peaty, sea salty kind of style of whiskey. Um, and then you, you go to other parts of, of Scotland, like Talisker, that has like sea, but like a little bit of, of peat to it. Whereas if you go to the lowlands, it's more of a, uh, a heavier, waterier, uh, mossier style of whiskey. It's just it's sort of every region has their own, their own distinct flavor. And every distillery does their own uh, distinct thing. So when we were in Inverness, uh, we went to Tomatin because that was where we had time to go uh, that we could get into on short notice. And Tomatin has a great history because it goes back to the 1800s. You know, there'd been illegal whiskey, whiskey distillery there for who knows how long, but it officially had a, had a license, you know, from the late 1800s to distill whiskey there. Um, they're one of the only distilleries that still uh, maintain the tradition of they're, they're, most, most of the old distilleries had, you know, cabins and housing on, on the distillery grounds, and they actually maintained that. And so 80% of their employees still live on the distillery. So they get housing as part of their, part of their compensation to live there because it's so remote. Wait, so why, um, why was it illegal? I mean, it wasn't so much illegal. It's just you had to have a, a, a remit from the crown to do it. And no one bothered because, you know, the Scottish don't have a, have a great history of with the crown because of the, the, the history of the, the Jacobites and the rebellions. So they just didn't bother. And it's so remote that you couldn't really enforce it. It's sort of like the bootleggers in America um, in, the, in the southern parts. It was just you could run moonshine and 
it was so remote in the backwoods that no one could really catch you and stop you. Okay, so on that note, staying in Inverness, uh, you mentioned going to Culloden Battlefield. Right. Yeah, how do you say it? Culloden? Culloden, yeah. Culloden Battlefield. And um, explain a little bit more. You know, there's a lot of, we live in a place where there's a ton of battlefields to go to. So why is this so special? And um, you seem to know a lot about the history. So So Culloden was sort of the, the last battle, major battle of the Jacobite uprising. Um, where the Scottish uh, Prince, Bonnie Prince Charlie, led his troops into battle against the Crown. Um, and the, they actually have a great visitor center there that does a really good job of walking you through the history uh, where they have the entire history of the, of the battle told in chronology and the Jacobite side is told along one wall and the Crown side is told along the other wall. So you sort of can, can walk down the middle of this hallway and you can see the chronology from both sides and stories from various journals of participants told on on both sides of this hallway as you sort of walk through this visitor center which is actually a really neat way to experience it because you get sort of an unbiased history or or a, a biased history from both sides which is probably the closest you can get to unbiased as you get it in chronology sort of interleave together um and so there was a lot of confusion in this final battle where bonnie prince charlie sort of led his troops into this peat bog against the british and they were not super well organized in this battle and the weather sort of turned against them and they ended up with their troops scattered in different parts of this bog and and were effectively routed by the british and that's when when prince charlie sort of went into 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 hiding in the highlands away from the british and that was effectively the end of the uprising because like once the the main force of the army was broken it was sort of just a cleaning action by the british to to finish them off unfortunately there are all these stories on isle of sky around sort of the the for lack of a better term the cleansing where the british after after the the uprising came in and sort of swept people off their land and and took over places that were suspected to be safe havens of members of the uprising yeah there's a lot of history there that we just don't know yeah so okay so after Inverness, you you split off from your friends, and I know you mentioned this earlier, but then you decided to go down to Glasgow and catch a flight to to Isla. Yeah, so okay. Isla is on the western side of Scotland. On the it's an island off to the west of Scotland, and it's sort of difficult to get to. There's a there's a ferry that goes over there, and there are two flights a day. But I decided because this is sort of the winter season and this, the seas are pretty rough that the odds were in my favor taking a flight instead of taking the ferry because I assumed that the ferry would be either delayed or canceled due to, to rough seas. And it turned out that was the right choice because it was a pretty harrowing flight to get over there. And, and as I was on the island for a couple of days, sort of talking to people, several, several of the ferries that were going back and forth had been canceled or, or strongly delayed because of, because of weather in this time of year. So you got over there and, and you did go just specifically for these whiskey tasting tours or did you just want to see a new place in Scotland? So I went for whiskey. There, there are seven distilleries on Isla um, and most people who go there go for the whiskey. There are a couple of, it's a pretty small island. Um, there are some, some historical sites there that are worth seeing, but due to how, how difficult it is to get there, most people who go, go for the whiskey. Okay. And you also included a, an interesting travel nugget that you really need to plan all of this ahead 
Absolutely. It's a, it's a very small Island. And if you don't have a rental car reserved, or if you have not emailed or called a taxi company there, there are not taxis waiting at the airport, even though there are only two flights a day and everyone, everyone knows when they land, there will not be taxis at the airport there. So, so you do have to plan ahead. Uh, and especially in the off season, luckily the, uh, the, the bed and breakfast that I booked there, uh, emailed me in advance and warned me. I sort of knew, but I didn't really understand. And like, hey, you're in the here in the off season. Like, you need to plan restaurants where you're going to eat, and taxis, and rental cars, or and and distillery bookings. Because if you don't have reservations, these places will just not be open. Huh? Yeah. No, we really take that for granted. And I was in uh, Italy in August years and years ago, and you know, I heard that that it shuts down. I was in Milan. I heard that they shut down in August. Everyone goes to the beach, but you don't really believe it happens. And my friend and I had trouble finding restaurants. I mean, and this was, you know, 15 years ago. So maybe it's changed, but it was just strange to not be able to figure it out and make it work. (laughs) Yeah. And that's especially true in the off season on Isla. So I was staying in Beaumont, which is the oldest town on the Island. And while I was there, there were three restaurants open. So there was like a local pub on the waterfront that had dinner every night. There was a Thai food place and there was another hotel that had a restaurant that if you made a reservation, they would have dinner service. So you could only eat there if you made reservations. Otherwise, they would just close the kitchen because there was there was no one on the island visiting at this time of year. Was there a choice? Like, was there a menu or, or was it we'll serve you dinner? Oh, yeah. The menu, the menu was great. Um, so I actually ended up staying because I didn't want to have Thai food in Scotland. That, that just sort of seemed like cheating. Um, so I ended up going to the local pub every night and the menu was great. They had sort of like fresh catch of the day fish and haggis and a decent cheeseburger. So you, you could go through the menu very easily um, over over a week and not be disappointed. The food was good, so it didn't matter. Um, but yeah, you do have to sort of think about that sort of thing. Uh, and again, because it was the off season, the bus schedule was reduced. So the bus on Isla is actually pretty good to get you to most of the distilleries. You can get to probably six of the, probably let's say four of the six on the bus without needing a car, uh, which was my plan because I was going to whiskey taste. So I didn't want to be driving, but you know, this, the bus runs in the morning and the afternoon. So in the morning you go out to a remote, a remote side of the Island, you spend the day out there tasting whiskey at the cafe, sort of walking around the grounds and then you catch the afternoon bus back. There, there are no other options. So what is the actual size of this island? It's probably four or five miles north to south and then maybe two miles east to west. It's not huge. So in the in the high season, who goes there? Is it other Scots vacationing? Is it just very sophisticated whiskey? So in the high season, it's actually very crowded. You know, 10 or 20,000 people will show up because... The distilleries, there's basically a big festival in wow. around April, May timeframe, and all the distilleries release sort of their distiller exclusive festival editions. So those are collectible bottles and they're sort of bands and parties and aspects of the Highland Games are there for that part of the year. And so it becomes a huge tourist attraction to be there. And so a bunch more of the hotels that were closed when I was there will open. So there's additional capacity on the island in the high season for those people but even then you still have to have to make reservations because there are so many extra people that you sort of have to plan ahead because things will fill up even though they've opened all this extra capacity for those months of the year 
So what else is there to do during the rest of the year, though? Is there, uh, or on the high season, other than with ski, is there, like, hiking? What do people do? Do they... I mean, they don't go to the beach, right? It's too cold. It's too cold to go to the beach. Um, there's a there's some hiking, obviously, because it, you can sort of wander around. There's Finlagen, which is actually a really interesting site. It's the historical seat of the Island Kings, and Clan Donald is actually on the island. So you can sort of hike out there. Uh, there's a great military cemetery and, and old church on the northern part of the island uh, where some World War II soldiers are still buried. Um it's, it's just sort of a, the towns are beautiful. You can hang out in a cafe and people watch. So there is stuff to do and you can walk around when the weather is good. You could actually walk most of the Island. If you're, if you're willing to put in the distance or you can take a bus sort of halfway to where you want to go. And they're, they're walking trails between the distilleries or between the towns. So you can get around that way. Well, can we go back to um, Finn Logan? You said the original seat of the Lords of Isles and Clan Donald. What? Yes. So this site is probably a thousand, fifteen hundred years old, and it is literally an island in the middle of a lake, in the middle of a sort of bog, where they have built a walking path and a small bridge over the lake to get out to the island. And you go out there, and there are just sort of ruins of this tenth, eleventh century sort of original town on this island that's probably. 200 feet by 300 feet and that that's where the old king or the old lord had had his seat of power because it was a sort of a defensible position uh with with the lake around it all right well i don't mean to really press your scottish knowledge but wait is the lord of isles the head of clan donald um i guess it was at the time or rather clan donald controlled most of the isles back at that time and again that's sort of my fuzzy understanding of scottish history at that point what is their tartan oh jeez <laughs> i'm just kidding i will um, describe it as red and green and probably guess correctly a little yellow maybe I don't know. um so that's awesome now going back to um kill kill choman kill homan Kill Homan. Um, it's K-I-L-C-H-O-M-A-N. Um, you said there was an interesting World War One story here. Yeah, so there's an old church um, in Kill Homan that's unfortunately mostly derelict now because the, the weather has sort of destroyed it. Uh, it's sort of this like old abandoned building. But up on the hill on a cliffside overlooking the water is a military cemetery. And there's this sort of really tragic story from World War One, where a, a British troop ship uh, sort of had a had a shipwreck there in in the strait between Isla and the the mainland in a storm, and the ship was washed aground on Isla, and the locals sort of found the bodies of the victims and just respectfully buried them there on Isla uh, on this cliffside overlooking sort of the water. And and after the war, their families came came to pay respects and, and reclaim the bodies, and and the, sort of the legend that is told is that they sort of viewed this as such a beautiful place that that most of the families who came to pay their respects and claim their 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 family members left them there at, to rest where they had fallen, uh, because they they thought the island was so beautiful that that they couldn't do any better by bringing them home. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you visited that cemetery. Yeah, I mean, you just sort of go and and pay your respects because I'm I'm in a huge I'm a huge fan of history and and you go to all those World War One and World War Two sites and it, 
it's sort of a solemn thing that you do while you're traveling, I, I think. Yeah. So you also headed up north in this island. So tell us about that. Yeah, so the northern loop is is Kilhoman is on the northern the northeastern side. Um, there's a distillery at Kilhoman. There's another distillery at Bunahaben and Ardenhoe and Kalila. So all those four are sort of in the northern northeastern side of the island. Um, because of the off season, Kilhoman was closed for maintenance. Kalila has actually been closed for quite some time because they're owned by the giant distillery company Beam Suntory. They're doing a ton of renovation there. Visitor Center, they've been closed since fall of last year because they're behind schedule, um, which everyone on the island basically makes fun of and and jokes that they're building Jim Beam World there at, at Kalila. Um, <laughs> but I was able to vi- visit Bunahaben and Ardenhoe. Uh, and Ardenhoe is one of the newest distilleries. They don't even have whiskey available for sale yet because they just started last year. And to be scotch, it has to be aged at a minimum of three years. And so, and most of it is actually much older than that. So they are at least three years from even having anything that they can call scotch and probably five to 10 years before they have whiskey they're going to release. But they have this beautiful building that is built uh, on the water overlooking the Isle of Jura, which is probably half a mile away. And so it has, it's just this giant cafe with huge windows overlooking the water to the island next door. It's a beautiful site, and they, they're owned by an independent bottler that has uh, their, own, their own label independent whiskey that they bottle. And so they're serving from their collection until they have something available from their distillery. You said that you've been to Scotland. You love Scotland. It's one of your top places to travel. Even if you didn't hit it on this trip, what are some other spots that you... Definitely recommend any traveler who goes to Scotland, make sure they hit. I think you have to go to Edinburgh. You have to see the castle. Uh, there are great art museums in Edinburgh that are definitely worth visiting. Uh, we hit Isle of Skye this time. I think if you go to Scotland, you have to go to Skye. I didn't get to spend a ton of time in Glasgow this trip, but I got to spend two or three days in Glasgow on my previous trip years ago. Glasgow is a great town. So Glasgow and Edinburgh are sort of the two main places you have to go. They're the hub cities. They have major airports and train stations. So you can get to other places from them. But the difference between the two is actually really interesting. Sort of Edinburgh is this much more historic, older town with a lot of history to it. And Glasgow is a much more modern city. So it has a, a vibrant nightlife and lots of trendy restaurants and bars, uh, but it still has, you know, great history there. Churches, old churches, old cemeteries, great art museums, castles, but the, the, the city proper of Glasgow is much more what we would consider a, a vibrant urban nightlife kind of place. Yeah, I actually have never been to Glasgow, but Edinburgh was it was just so gothic and I just remember thinking you know when all the Harry Potter books came out just thinking it's so clear that the woman who wrote that is from here you know it's just so (laughs) yeah I don't know it's it's sort of magical you know weird wizard dish way if that's the word yeah I, I totally agree uh i i love edinburgh you you just walk down the streets and it's old gothic architecture and gothic churches and you know old houses and apartments in the downtown 
in my mind, Edinburgh is, is sort of what Americans think of as Scotland is. So I have to give a shout out though to St. Andrews and I would say that you can't miss it if you're going to go. So have, have you been yet? I have not yet. Oh, it's such a beautiful castle town and it is, I mean, it's just so medieval. Uh, it's right on the water and um, cobblestoned and like one portion of it is just, I mean, it's their fortification is the sea. So I have to do a plug for St. Andrews. Yeah, I, I would love to go. Uh, a friend of mine has been because he's a huge golfer. And obviously the course at St. Andrews, which yeah. is basically the the origin of golf, is super famous. Yeah. So you you do – I like to ask um, some of my guests who do a ton of traveling what their favorite – you know, just a quick rundown of other spots you would recommend to, to people itching for adventure. Ooh, I mean, I love Scotland. Uh, I would go back to Scotland. Scotland is one of the few places I would go back to again and again because there's so many new places to see. Um, I loved, I loved Italy. I loved Rome. The history of there was great. I loved, I loved being in New Zealand. I, I lived in Wellington for a while. And that was one of my favorite places because um, everyone in Wellington is just so lovely, and it, the city is just beautiful. And the South Island is effectively paradise there. Uh, it has every kind of weather. So I made a loop over the South Island of New Zealand and you get, you know, tropics and glaciers and plains and mountains all in like a six to 12 hour drive. It's, it's ridiculous, but it's beautiful. Uh, I've never heard of this. There's a, is it just South of the Island or it's South Island? The, the South Island. So New Zealand is two islands, North Island and South Island. Um, so North Island is sort of Wellington, Auckland, South Island is Christchurch, Queenstown are sort of the most famous places on, on each of those. Um, and that's tropical? Yeah. So on the Western side of the South Island is the Tasman Sea. And so you get tropics there with, you know, palm trees and warm weather. And then six hours North, you get glaciers because the elevation thank you so much for sharing your years and christmas adventure with us my pleasure i hope you enjoyed this episode of travel nuggets i'll post more information about this episode including helpful links on the travel nuggets website please visit travelnuggetspodcast.squarespace.com there you can check out additional episodes or download them wherever you get your podcasts and I'd love to hear your feedback and ideas. Email me at travelnuggetspodcast at gmail.com or join the Travel Nuggets Facebook group to share your thoughts and ideas. See you next time.